Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Well, we are uh, today in the final installment of our series, Fight for Fighting for Our Families. And um, it has been a uh, long series. Carlisle got in trouble this morning in our team meeting because he cheered that we were at the end of it. But it turned out he was cheering for the series in general, not because it was over. And uh, if you are with us maybe for the first time this morning or you've missed a few, I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen uh, because we've actually talked about some uh, what I think are the most important things in regard to our fight and given the church's opportunity versus maybe what some folks in the church think our stance should be. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is not surprised. God is not surprised by the events of today. And so the church ought to remember that that he has a grace, a provision, a plan for everything that's in front of us today. And, uh, and we still win in the end. All right? So, so let's win some people to Jesus in the meantime and be faithful in the field that God has called us to. And at the end of it all, maybe, just maybe, not only will you get to stand before Jesus, but he'll actually say, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be nice? Of course, it's much more important than that. Uh, so the title of today's message is simply Fight with Multiple explanation, exp, <laughs> Exclamation. Explanation points are what I put at the end of my lectures to my kids at home. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some parents who understand that for sure. All right, so we've taken a good amount of time to talk about and develop what it is to fight for our families, and not in the literal sense, like here's what Pastor Trav says you should do uh, to engage in the war, but rather, how should we be preparing our hearts? We've talked about uh, the failed attempt to use, say, biblical or moral authority uh, on those who have no understanding of what it is. It's a waste of time. Um, let, let the Holy Spirit work moral authority in people's hearts once he is saving them, and you will have a totally different outcome. In the meantime, we need to learn how to be kind, and we need to learn how to not compromise the truth, because God is God is just in all that he does, but he's also kind in everything he does, and we need to keep those things in mind. So um, the fight goes on, though, and that's why the title of the message today is just is fight, exclamation, 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 because at the end of it all, church, that's what we do is fight, and uh, sometimes I think that Christianity is cast in the wrong light altogether, like it's uh, the religion of peace. And uh, Jesus addressed that himself. He said, some of you say that I came for peace, but I tell you I've come, to war. I've come for war. And um, not war in the sense of nations battling each other, but the sense that in the spiritual realm around us there is a constant battle, a constant warfare that we're engaged in. And sadly, too many Christians today, and maybe all along, have been hiding their heads from that reality. And uh, our hope is that we would change. Winston Churchill under pressure to make peace with Adolf Hitler in 1940. Uh, relatively new to his job as Prime Minister of Great Britain, was under a lot of pressure not to really enter into conflict with Germany because the cost of life from World War I was still very real and present in the people of the United Kingdom. Um, well, and not just the United Kingdom, but actually all of the British Empire, the Commonwealth of the British Empire, every nation in that had offered troops or offered support in some regard to the first war effort. And so that cost was very fresh and raw. You can imagine there were parents living who had lost their entire family, all of their sons in the First World War. And those were the voters 
that may or may not have voted for Churchill, but nonetheless, they were the people that he was called to represent and lead. And under that pressure, I want to share with you the, uh, the, what has now become a famous address. And a lot of people think that this is a speech he made uh, to the news, to papers. It wasn't. This was just another day in Parliament for Winston Churchill. But it has become one of the most famous and impactful speeches he ever gave. Even though he said... Large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. I share that with you because the parallel to what we see as Generations Church is uncanny. And even if you can just appreciate that, uh, <laughs> that would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. I want you to know that by the end of the message, this is what I want you to receive clearly from the Lord today. And that is, parents, we fight for our families, and we defend the ground, and we, we raise up the troops, and, and, and we, we get them ready, and we help them in battle, and we make war ourselves until the day comes in God's good time when that next generation carries on the fight, and not only carries on the fight, but probably comes to our aid. Generations church from one generation to the next, this is what God called us to when we planted this church 16 years ago. We will fight. We won't give up. Wherever the battle needs to be fought, we need to be the ones who are fighting it. Each family in this church, and in any church, and you could go on to say each family as a church in the body of Christ as a whole across the world, is like an island nation, just like Britain is in the speech that Churchill gave. Each household has their own rule, their own values, their own identity, and so on. Each of us flies, I sure, I sure hope, each of us flies the banner of Jesus and lives under that banner every day. The fight we face is actually a fight against pure evil. That is to say that our enemy, there is no goodness in him whatsoever. And one of his tactics, by the way, is to try and make some acknowledgement that in the camp of Satan, there is some goodness that remains. I assure you, there is none. And he likes to take that thought seeded from, well, all of the people who God loves, surely there's something good in them that is worth saving, which is absolutely true. But you see, the first scheme, I guess I could say, one of the first schemes of the enemy is to try and twist or pervert the reality of the situation. To make it seem as though there is goodness in him worth redeeming or pursuing because there is still some image of God left in the creation that Jesus came to die for. And in that moment, we could be deceived and fall into the trap. That because I need to make allowances for people who don't know Jesus in my life, I somehow then by that logic should make allowances for Satan in my life. 
That should never be the case. And you might say, well, I don't know how to tell the difference. It's so hard. It is so hard, and you can't tell the difference. But that's why the Word of God comes to us. Because it is true spiritual authority, and it divides between the joint and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. That was just a free rabbit trail. Man. This fight against pure evil is being revealed more and more every day in the doctrines that show up. And there are doctrines of the enemy that are becoming more visible every day in the media, in schools, uh, in, 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 in all kinds. I mean, even in, even in trade school, in the workplaces, at Canada Post, it is everywhere that there are these questioning doctrines, these, these schemes of the devil that would attempt us to have to think twice and, and sacrifice the truth for the sake of loving the people Jesus has called us to. But you see, that's the enemy's way, not the way of Jesus. And we need to be wiser than we have been, church. Because I've watched too many people fall and fail not understanding the difference of where those lines are actually drawn and how they lie and what Jesus wants us to do with it in the meantime. It's a lot like, if you remember almost any World War movie, you'll, you'll probably recall some scene at somewhere where the enemy is with loudspeakers broadcasting to the nearly defeated opposition force. Come over to our side. We'll give you mercy. Or they drop leaflets of propaganda from airplanes down on different cities in the United Kingdom. You're overrun. You're defeated. You're down. You might as well just give up. That's the tactics that the enemy used in those conflicts. And it's actually the tactic our enemy uses today. I would like you to remember that it is just paper falling from the sky. It is just noise over a loudspeaker. Do you understand that the voice of the enemy is subject to the authority of Jesus? And the only reason you hear it is because of the amplification you're allowing it to have in most of your life. Just in the same way that my voice is being amplified by this microphone. My voice is relatively small and insignificant until we apply an apparatus that allows it to be amplified. Just so you know, another free rabbit trail, the amplification of a Christian's life is in the good works that God has called us to do beforehand. That's the amplification of Jesus in your life. Getting a loudspeaker and marching and, and doing those things, it may be of value somewhere along the line, but I want to tell you that the good works that God prepared beforehand so that you and I would walk in them are the amplification of Jesus in our life. So it would stand to reason then, if we want Jesus to be what is amplified, we should be doing more good works. And sadly, what I see is the church doing less. Well, if we can make time, we'll be there, Pastor. Yeah. It's because I think you don't realize the cost of the battle we're in. Because he is trying to sway your children. So that the line of Jesus in your family ends with you. That's the game that he plays. And nowhere in Scripture does it give us permission ever, ever 
to not be raising up the next generation. See, even if we do find that we're losing, our job is still to resist. Even on those days when you know you're beat down, when you know you failed, when you know you crossed the line you can't come back from, even at that moment, your job is still to resist the enemy. Because the Bible promises that when you resist him, he'll flee. The resistance in the kingdom has to be a thousand times more powerful, 10,000 times more powerful than any resistance that has ever been formed in the history of man. So we must resist. We must engage with all our might to overcome evil with good. The Bible says, do not repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, I thought we were supposed to have a rally. Not that kind of rally. We should rally to overcome evil with good. We fight, we win or lose because we have a whole nation of saints around us who fight with us. And even if we fall, they will continue to fight on our behalf, coming to our aid along the way, all in the grace of God's timing for us in this life. That's why it's so important to be a part of a church family. Because while your household may be an island nation, if you will, it belongs to a commonwealth of Jesus. A coalition of the saints who are called to make war on the forces of hell until the day Jesus returns. To hold the ground, to take the ground, to overpower the gates of hell. I don't, I don't know what to say to people anymore who don't realize that biblically there is a war going on. You just don't read your Bible then. If you can't see the warfare in the Christian life, it's because you're simply not reading your Bible anymore. And for those of you, I could even say us, who tend to be zeal-filled and ready to take anyone and everyone out who gets in the way, we don't have it quite right either. I want to say that there's no way that you and I can make peace with the devil. There's just no way. There's no way that you can compromise the goodness of God in your life to make peace with the devil. We need to understand how to separate the enemy and his plans from the people he may well be using in his efforts against the church. Let me say that again. We need to learn by the Holy Spirit to understand the difference and separate the enemy and his plans from those people created by God who he would use for his plans against the people of God. And this can only be done by understanding what comes from the Holy Spirit in and through the Word of God. That way, in that order. Sometimes I think we confuse ourselves because we, we attempt to invoke the Holy Spirit's power and understanding in our lives after we have begun to read. And, and that doesn't work, just so you know. Christians who refuse to believe in the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, and there are many doctrines in the church that say that. People who refuse to the acknowledge of the Holy Spirit, that you see, they're not capable of reading God's Word. Because Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit was going to be the helper and the key who comes along and helps us, who guides us into the truth of everything Jesus said. 
And so without the Holy Spirit in our lives, even though we might be blood-bought and saved, we are entirely incapable of understanding and taking to the depth Jesus intended his words, his teaching, and the fulfillment of everything Old Testament and new. We're incapable of digesting that and coming to the place we need to arrive at. So the right order is Holy Spirit, Word of God. Not that one is more important than the other. It's almost like one is the ink and one is the page. Before we begin to read, we need the Holy Spirit. So let's do that right now. Holy Spirit, would you enlighten our eyes, our minds, and our hearts today as we read from your word? We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes. Someone say schemes. The schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So what exactly are the schemes of the devil? Well, here's a brief summation of them. Um, the first is uh, that we see, actually, first here's the first biblical scheme of the devil. That just happens that I got it in the right order, I suppose. Um, challenging God's word. Led to the first sin of mankind in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and, and Genesis 3 gives us a really good look at that. I'm not going to turn there, but... Um, in Genesis 3, Satan's words to the woman in the garden were what? Did God really say? Did God really say that you would die if you ate the fruit? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Did he, like, would a good God really do that? You know, I can hear the voice today in society. Did God really say? Challenging God's word. Number one scheme of the devil. Led to the first human sin. He still uses it today. Why? Because it works so well on people. With those three words, four words, the devil invited Eve to reconsider what God said. And by adding her own human interpretation, she was very quickly convinced really by herself that God's word must then therefore be restrictive. By suggesting that we should re-examine the clear teaching of God's word, Satan invites us to add our own interpretation to Scripture and thereby we nullify God's stated will. Entire church denominations are falling prey to the wiles of the devil in this fashion. Did God really say that homosexuality is wrong? Did God really say there are two genders? Did God really say... Um, you know, that, that women are only for making babies and aren't allowed to do anything else. I mean, there's all kinds of questions. And you know, what's interesting is Satan's always smart enough to have some basis of possible truth in the question. He did it to Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. He suggests to us that putting our own spin on perceived reality is the right thing to do, and in fact, what it does is it is the first step down the road to becoming humanistic, where man becomes little g, God, in place of the Lord, 
And the first way to deal with the scheme of the devil is to make sure that you are fully covered in the armor of God. Fully covered. I see a lot of people running around with no faith some days. You know, you've got to take up a shield of faith. Well, I forgot it at home, Pastor Trav. I know, because you're 16 and you forget everything at home. Some of you forget to put on the helmet of salvation. And the enemy just gets to say whatever he wants and you have no checks or balances. To in faith reason away what he is saying to you. Man, if you want to ask me how I know, it's because I've forgotten my helmet a time or two. I've forgotten a a breastplate of righteousness. I forgot that my feet are shod with the gospel of peace. I forgot that there's no truth binding it all together. I understand what it is to forget the armor. But that wouldn't provide excuse for anyone else to forget it. We've got to be clothed in the full armor. The second uh, scheme of the devil I want to talk to you about is the challenging of our identity. The challenging of our identity. And Luke 4 gives insight into what Satan does there. When Satan is trying to tempt Jesus while he's in the wilderness, on two different occasions, Satan uh, began his temptations with these words. What were they? If you are the Son of God. If you are a Son of God. Number one, he challenges God's words. Second, he challenges your identity. He challenges who God says you are. He challenges who the blood of Jesus says you are. From did God really say to, if you really are a child of God. Satan knew exactly who Jesus was, (laughs) without a doubt. And Jesus knew exactly who Satan was, because he watched Satan fall like lightning. He referenced that in Luke 10, 18. Significantly, the devil chose a time when Jesus was physically weak and hungry to attack his identity. I want you to be aware of the schemes of the devil. This is why Sabbath rest as a principle in the life of a believer is so important. If you are unrested, that is to say you are not honoring the principle of Sabbath rest in your life. If you are not taking time to take care of your spirit and your soul, your physical body with rest... You are more susceptible than anyone to this challenge from the enemy because even Jesus, even Jesus was tested in this way. And if Jesus, guys, if Satan thought he could use it and win on Jesus, what is stopping him from thinking he can use it on you and win? I mean, he might be a delusional, narcissistic maniac, and I'm not talking about anybody in politics right now. Ouch, I know. (laughs) It felt so good to say that, though. It's a carnal moment. (laughs) Why would you think he wouldn't use that on you? I mean, I could just see it. Satan's like, oh, I think I got him. Ah, it almost worked. It's probably more sinister than that. But if he uses it on Jesus, what, do you think you're better than Jesus? Of course you don't. Think you're smarter than Jesus? Of course you don't. So don't be unaware of the schemes of the devil. When you let yourself get tired out, run down, played out, you will encounter this voice of Satan. 
The challenge is your identity. Who are you? Are you really a child of God? Are you really called to that? Are you really ready for this? Are you, are you, are you, are you? He'll hit you during a crisis. He'll hit you during a time of spiritual struggle. And then he says, if you were really a child of God, I wouldn't have this power to do this to you. I want to remind you what Jesus said to his disciples before he left them. Satan has asked to sift you. And what does Jesus say? Jesus is aware in his flesh, in his carnal man. He's aware of what Satan has asked the Father. And Jesus' response is what? Oh, but I'm not going to let him sift you. That's not what Jesus said. Satan has asked that he may sift you. I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. I just want you to let that sink in. Because the enemy literally is bound by the words of Jesus to go any farther with that, but he can, he can try to embed the thought in you. See, if you're really, if God really loved you, if you're really serving him the right way, he wouldn't be so mad at you, and then I wouldn't be able to do this to you. He is a, he is a maniacal abuser, the devil is. He's a gaslighter of gaslighters. And it is his handiwork that we see in the world today. There's no question about it. But our identity cannot be compromised if we truly have placed our hope in Jesus. Oh, if you're actually a child of God, this wouldn't happen. If you're actually a Christian, God would bail you out. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of Salvation. It protects the noggin. Protects your brain. God help us. Some of us got to start getting better at putting that on. The third thing, the third scheme. Just love that word scheme today. He twists the scripture. And I know that the biblically brilliant among us can probably see the thread in all of these, how they're all kind of the same and work together, but they are different. He also twists the Scripture, another while, another scheme he uses. Jesus was to quote Scripture, but with a twist he used it against Jesus. See, Satan quotes Psalm 91, 11 for 12 in an effort to persuade Jesus to act in the flesh rather than follow the Spirit of God. But Satan did not include the next couple of verses. Because if, if he would have continued, he would have undone himself by the power of God's word. Here's, here's, here's I just want to share, I, we, we don't have time to go to all of these today, so, so just bear with me as we jump. And you, you, write it down or go back and listen and then read the Bible for yourself, please. Please read the Bible. So, so in Psalm, you can go look it up. Psalm 91, 11 and 12, he tries to persuade Jesus to act in the flesh, not follow the Spirit. But here's the problem. 91, 13 says, But you will tread on the lion and on the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Now those two animals are metaphors for Satan. Many places in Scripture. He's, he's a roaring lion who goes around seeking who might devour. Of course, we're more familiar maybe with the, the enemy being in the form of a serpent. Um, 
He likes to twist scripture on you. And if you don't have the ability to know more than one verse at a time, you are ill-equipped for the battle you're called to. And if you don't have the ability to discover context of Scripture, you are not equipped at all for the battle that you're called to. There are too many one-verse wonders running around inside the church contradicting pastors and leaders because they've got their one verse and they've had this revelation from God, but they always fail the contextual test of Scripture. They fail it miserably. you got to appreciate the context of God's Word. Jesus sure did. Why? Because when the devil came at him with Scripture, he just had to add the next verse in context. Oh, devil, you're forgetting that you might bruise my heel, but I'm going to crush your skull. Context matters, friends. And the devil is a champion at twisting context. That's how he gets you... That's how he gets you in challenging your identity. He twists the context. What you were versus what you are now because of Jesus. You need to be reminded that you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Yeah, absolutely. You still wrestle with the old things. You still got to crucify the flesh. Yeah, 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 yeah. All those things. But all subject to the power and authority of Jesus because of the cross. He twists scripture. Uh, oh, this one I have to make sure I get to you today for sure. He likes to leave out the key parts of Scripture in order to twist its meaning to fit his agenda. And then he does have some folks that he also sends into the church. And we often refer to them as prosperity teachers or false prophets. They quote the Scripture in maybe selfish or misleading ways. Um, they use just enough of God's Word to sound authoritative, but they twist it to fit their own agendas, cherry-picking Bible verses to affirm what they want to believe or, or to create problems. or I mean, I mean, it just becomes a kind of an epidemic sometimes in churches and in pockets of churches and families. And, it, and it's, because, it's because of these false brothers, false sisters that come along and try to twist and warp, and well-intentioned or not. I mean, if it, if it don't line up with the Word of God, it don't line up with the Word of God. I think it's worthwhile to point this out to you, though. I do not often see pastors and leaders who are the ones who are twisting and reworking. And I know lots of them. Yeah, I'm aware of the high-profile ones that have TV ministries. And Can you just, just step back to reality with me for a minute, though? That is not the majority of the body of Christ. And what I see in local churches is little bands of one individual who gathers another and they, they decide to hone in on a doctrinal point. And they gather a little group and it starts to whisper and talk. It's happened in our church. It happens in churches all over the place all the time. And then they form their own little group of people. And before too long, they all inevitably come to my, my table. Well, pastor, we're leaving the church. Okay, well, we're not changing. So I guess this is where we part company. Love you. Hopefully, hopefully you come back to us one day. I've never yet yelled or swore at somebody, even though there's been times I want to. I've even wanted and, and dreamed about punching people sometimes. <laughs> I just, I'm just being, I want to be authentic and clear. Um, hasn't happened yet, and by the grace of God, it will never happen, because I don't think that would go well for anybody in the end. Um, I want, can, can you just understand the Bible? The Bible talks to us about people who come, they're wolves, but they're in sheep's clothing. 
just hear this. The Bible never talks about the wolves coming in shepherd's clothing. And the vast majority of times where we see this twisting tactic used in the church, guys, it's the enemy dressing up like sheep, not shepherds. It's valuable to consider that point before you decide that you don't like what I'm saying and confuse my words for what the enemy is also trying to whisper in your ear. The Bible tells me that if I cause one of the little ones to stumble, it would be better for me to have a millstone hung around my neck and get dropped in the ocean. I don't know pastors who don't take that seriously, even the ones who screw up and get it all wrong and have to fail out of the ministry. I have asked a time or two, well, what happens when you become or attempt to become the teacher of the teacher? Don't, don't you fall under the same judgment then? They do. It's the wolf in sheep's clothing that we watch for. Because the wolf in sheep's clothing is the one who says, hey, I'm just a sheep like you. I'm just a sheep like you. But that shepherd over there, well, he's going to try to kill you. It's the twisting of Scripture. It's the twisting of God's Word, of God's heart, of God's intent. The fourth and the final one I want to talk about in the time we have this morning is offering an alternative to obedience. That is absolutely a scheme of the devil. He offers an alternative to obedience. And he does this in the temptation of Jesus once again to suggest another path, avoiding strict obedience to God's will. Um, Satan knew better than to suggest that Jesus forget the whole salvation plan and go back to heaven. Instead, he offered him an alternative. The Bible says in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 5 through 7, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor because it's given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, this is Satan talking to Jesus the Christ. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. <laughs> okay, once again, if Satan is willing to offer Jesus a lie which appears to be a shortcut to God's plan, what makes you think he wouldn't use it on you? He knows you're not Jesus. He knows how easily you can fail. He knows how frail your heart and mind can be. And when you hear a voice speaking to you, my friends, please hear this. When you hear a voice speaking to you that suggests, well, hey, there's an easier way. There's an easier way to do what God wants. Just skip the important steps. Can you just please train yourself to know that that is not the Holy Spirit? See, because the Holy Spirit will never dishonor the Father or the Son to get accomplished what it is He wants to accomplish. The, the, the triune nature of God cannot contradict itself. It never has, it never does, and it never will. And so when we hear voices that are contrary to that, rather than accept the voice and consider it, why, why would we not, as it, as it says in Scripture, to take every thought captive by, and, and in the Greek it means this, to take every thought captive as if by spear point to the obedience of Christ. 
The spear is somewhere between, depending on the kind of spear, it could be 8 to 10 feet long. In no context do we read that in the Greek, that it's like you got to take something the devil throws at you, or something some spirit or some person brings to you, and that we got to grab it and jump into the mud pit and wrestle and roll around. Not at all. The Bible the Bible's inferring to us that we got to take every thought captive that comes to us to the obedience of Christ as if we've got it 8, 10 feet away from us on the tip of a spear. And it could come closer, but it's just going to get more and more impaled. You understand? Somebody tell me you understand. Young adults over there, tell me you understand. I hope you're just not saying that. <laughs> good, good, good boy. Guys, if Jesus appeared vulnerable to the enemy for this, how much more are you and I vulnerable? Come on. It's not just one place that the Bible says, hey, be aware of the schemes of the devil. It's multiple places, multiple times. Even King David, he wrote about it, maybe not as directly as you would like him to have, but he still wrote about it because he understood that it was the Lord who needed to direct and guard our steps. It was the Lord who needed to uphold us by his strong right hand, that all that these things could happen over here and over there. What mattered at the end was his closeness to the one who made him and knew him best. See, that's what made David a man after God's own heart. His closeness to God. Not his education, not his biblical authority, even though he probably wrote a good chunk of the book of Psalms, right? Wrote some Bible even? Wow. Those weren't the things. Those weren't the things. It was a relative quickness to repent. He was a worshiper, a prayer. He walked with God. He trusted God. And if David, who turned out to be a murderous adulterer at one point in his life, can do it, then tell me who in this room can't do it. One of the most sinister wiles of the devil is his ability to offer religiously tainted compromises, whereby he fools mature believers even with a full frontal attack on their values and convictions. And then he slides around and comes in the back door posing as a friend with a reasonable alternative. <sighs> Job's friends were just like that. Worship team, you can come back. Job's friends were just like that. And if you want to go back and read the story of Job, I always found this interesting. Job had his friends who came with them, and they consoled him. But you know what they did for the first, I think it was the first seven days? They sat with Job and didn't say a word. Those are some good friends. You know when the problem started? When they all started talking. Come on. They all started talking, and the next thing you know, they are absolutely offering, uh, how do we say it this church? Tavro Shitso for advice. Tavro being the Greek word for bull, and Shitso being a made-up Greek word for poop. <laughs> they were doing great as long as they just fellowshiped together and kept their mouths shut. But this is the problem. This is a scheme of the devil to come in, and as you talk through a problem, he begins to come in that back door. He begins to come in with a full frontal attack at the same time. You're surrounded on all sides by, by questions and by possible alternative solutions. You know what a good friend says? My friend Tyson said this in a meeting last week. Well, I don't know what to say. We should probably pray. 
let's invite the wisest person in our relationship to begin to speak into our issue. That's what a friend does. And Jesus reminds us again then in those moments, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to come and be there right in the middle of their mess. I'm going to come and sit with them and fellowship with them and talk with them. And they might not even realize it in the moment, but my assurance is that I will always be there with you with them. Guys, we got to stay clothed in the armor of God. And here is, if I can tie this back to the beginning, here's what it's about. You got to stay clothed. You got to stay aware that you're in battle. You got to stay immersed in His Word so that you can recognize deception. And then when you realize that you are being caught up in a snare or the wiles or the schemes of the devil, you got to repent quick. You got to say, I'm sorry, and turn from it as quickly as you possibly can. And seek the heart of God and seek accountability and seek wise counsel for your life. Because as we said last Sunday, there's two kinds of humiliation. There's two ways of becoming humble. And one is to choose humiliation. The second one, far worse, to just be absolutely humiliated. You can fall on Jesus and be broken, or in the end have Jesus fall on you and be crushed. Those are your options for humility. Psalm 37, 23, and 24 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. Why? Because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I'd like you to remember that your enemy is not the teacher of your children at school. That's not your enemy. That person, as horrible as their doctrine might be, as crazy as their logic might be, is a person that Jesus loves and died for. They are not your enemy, even though they might be used by your enemy. There are some, they're, 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 they are someone that Jesus died for and still wants to save. Even your most politically, socially active, full of sin, trying to get your kids person that you know, he's still someone or she's someone that Jesus wants to save. He loves them and he died for them. Sometimes we fall for that lie that following Jesus is a life of peace, but that's a lie. It's not the truth. Following Jesus, walking with Jesus, is a life of peace that passes understanding. And if you don't know the difference between peace and peace that passes understanding, I don't think you are walking with Jesus all the way yet. Because those are two amazingly different realities. can't formulate that for you. I can't give you the secret so that you can replicate it except to say this, that if you really walk with Jesus, I mean like truly walk with Jesus, you'll know his peace. A peace that passes understanding. A peace that surpasses understanding. In every situation the world can throw at you. Fight this battle not in a classroom, not in a parliament, but you fight this battle in a prayer room. You fight this battle at your dinner table. Yes, for some of you, that means you have to invite your family back to the table. Because you're trying to wage a war on a field that doesn't even exist. Because you haven't created the battlefield yet. 
Some of you all need to need to invite your adult children to come back to the table so you can make spiritual warfare on their behalf because they don't know how to do it and they're lost. Bring them back to your table. Why? What happens at the table? We remember what Jesus did until the day he comes. Man, alive. I, I wish... I wish I could make it simpler, but this is where it's at, church. You fight this battle on your kid's iPhone or Android or Samsung or whatever you have for a device. You fight the battle on their device, too. Why? Because it's their social world. And you might not like it. You might not want to be a part of it, but but that's where they're at in this world. So you better get involved in it, and you better make it a part of the battleground that God has called you to fight in. Because surely you are ordained and called to fight the battle for the next generation. So report for duty. Get on the social media platform you need to be on to keep an eye on your kids because the devil has an eye on you. You fight this battle with everything in you, everything available to you, everything that you might be able to find sacrifice. I don't, maybe you got to steal it. But you get what you need to fight in this fight. Because your fighting is ultimately for the weapon. Your fight today is ultimately for the weapon that will fight for your tomorrow. Pastor Trav, that's a new take. I haven't heard that before. Here's, here's what it says in Psalm 127, 1-5. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain. Some of you need to hear this about rest. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the, bed, the bread of painful labors, because he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. So you need to take that deep to heart today. Now listen, though. Verse 3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. God, help Canada to take one step. Just please, Jesus, one step in the direction that the U.S. is going. Just one step, please, Lord. Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now listen, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. I close with this passage so that you understand this. The fight we fight today is so that the weapons that the saints, the warriors, the valiant ones of tomorrow will have the opportunity to continue the fight for as long as Jesus is waiting to return. My children are arrows in my hand. And it is my job to launch and direct those arrows at the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit to the place that He wants them to fly. Yes, there are a lot of things that can happen between the time they leave my bow and the time they reach their target. But there is a God in heaven. And if God who is in heaven could, de- could, could define the flight path of a stone from a sling from a 10 or 12 year old boy fighting a giant, I'm more than confident that God can guide the flight of my children into the destiny, into the place that he's called them to. Now church, you got to speak to your soul this morning to understand in depth and in depth what this is about. 
Some of you probably today are feeling you're failing miserably as a parent, and guess what? You probably are. And that's okay that you're failing. Just don't let your failure today become your life tomorrow. Do the next right thing. Ask the next right question. Seek the next right counsel. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time, He will be able to lift you up to exalt you. Because He's for your kids too. Man, He's probably more for my kids than I could ever be. But that doesn't diminish the fight. It doesn't diminish my heart, my desire to fight for them. I gotta be done with that. Our fight for our families. Church, it's not just so that they make it to 18 and hopefully love Jesus. It's so that our great-grandchildren will stand in the presence of God saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. I have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I have seen God come through for me time and time again. The heritage of my family, the thing that I fight for, is so that seven generations from now, my great-great-great-great-grandchildren say, I love Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning you actually don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, we want to offer you the same thing again and again until, until you see it. It is the most necessary and best thing that we can ever allow to happen in our lives. That is to make Jesus the boss. To allow him to define what is sin and what is not for our lives to trust him and to follow him because he has a great dream for your life. And if you'd like to receive him, if you'd like him to absolve your sin, to cover you, to let that great work he did at the cross cover your life today, we, we can talk with you about that and that can happen today. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you need healing in your body this morning. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe your relationship is is, is all kinds of crazy. You don't know what to do. Just let somebody pray with you. You don't have to leave this place the way you came. You don't have to leave with the burden that you walked in with. We're going to have our prayer team come this side and that side, and they love to pray with people, and they're safe, and they are trustworthy people. And if you'd like prayer this morning for any of these things, we're going to sing one last song. While we do, you take a moment to reflect. You take a moment to decide if you need to follow Jesus today or if you need to come for prayer. We're going to do one thing as we sing this last song, and that's always, always, always. We say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? So let's stand together. I'll just lead you in this very short prayer. You agree with your heart. You agree out loud, whatever works for you right now. But we say, Holy Spirit, would you today put anything anything you want on my heart any response I need to make Lord would you put your finger on it make it clear to me I ask in the name of Jesus Amen Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church If you enjoyed listening today please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week For additional information or to partner with us please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca